Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. I will be joined shortly by Sean Pendergast, and then we will also have Michael Lombardi on the show. We recorded an interview with him earlier today on Mad Radio. Uh, he brought it as per usual. He was awesome, and a whole lot of stuff to talk about with Sean today. He's got his picks for the weekend, but he also has to tell me exactly what he thinks of Richard Matthews just flat-out quitting on his team in, in what has become a... Perhaps a disturbingly more common I'm, – I'm trying not to be a grumpy old man here, but I just – I don't remember so many people quitting in the middle of things. And, I, look, I'll blame Generation Y or the Millennials or whoever it might be, but without further ado, here's Sean Pendergast. As you as you fumble with your headset there, Sean, I apologize. I didn't mean to time it that way. You were walking in the door, <laughs> and I was just kind of pre-recording something waiting for you to come. It, it's all good, man. It's all good. I, I budgeted more time to get here today than I would have normally because I had to go to the DMV this morning. Oh. So I, I, I go – there's a DMV probably like 15 minutes from my house. I live down on the south side of town, and there's one out like on Old Galveston Road, like mm -hmm. right off of the Beltway, kind of out your direction also. And I went at like 8.30 thinking like, okay, I'm going to the DMV. We, we usually record on Thursdays, you and I do. So I budgeted what you would normally do if you go to the DMV. I budgeted three and a half hours. To, to get my driver. I need to change the address on my driver's license. That's oh. all I had to do. But I have to go in because I I have a, you know, I I am a, even though I have LASIK, I'm classified as somebody who needs to go in and take an eye test. Oh, so you can't do I it online. To. No, I tried to, but they said, okay. no, you're in class whatever that says you have to get an eye test yeah. before you get your license. So I went in and I It's passed. one of the few areas, I don't know what it's like around the country, but I've actually been pleasantly surprised and I continue to be surprised every time I go in even though I'd say the last four times I've been to the DMV it's it's efficient now let me tell you do you go to one of those mega centers yeah the, I've never been to one before uh -huh. I'd only been to one of the tiny ones like up off of 290 that's probably been there you know since there were cars yeah and I've had a horrible experience every time that's like when I first moved back here it took me like four years to get up the gumption just to go to the DMV and do that and Amy tells me, she's like, no, they have these mega centers now. You know, you got to check it out. They, so I did. Dude, I was through there in 15 minutes. Honestly. It's super efficient. It's it's one of the areas where I'm most impressed with the government in a government service. This is almost like, this is what communists envisioned it would be like. Yeah. Like, you'd have these mass collectives that would handle something and they would do it efficiently yeah. uh, through through pooling everything all these resources together. I'm not stumping for communism here no, or no, something. No. But it's actually like it's an efficient use of my tax dollars and I feel good about it when I go there because I've it's it's always you get your number, you sit, you wait. 
smartphones make a difference now because you're not bored while you're waiting. Yes. So you've got good reading material while you wait. I didn't mind. It was like I was reading the newspaper. Yeah. It was great. And it's the first time I've ever sat in a DMV where I felt like if aliens were studying film on us. Every other time I've sat in a DMV and I felt like if aliens were studying film on us and they were thinking of attacking our country and mm-hmm. the film they were breaking down was any random scene in a DMV on a given day, I'd be like, the aliens would be like, we are going to school these clowns. Yeah, they're disorganized. They're disorganized. They're I'm in just, it for themselves and nobody else. Well, and I'm just talking about the clientele. Let me ask you oh, this. Oh, oh, I got gotcha. you. Is there a DMV? Because you're a, you're an attractive person. Is there a DMV <laughs> where attractive people go? Like, is there a special DMV for attractive people? Because I, I feel slightly insulted. There must have been 100 customers in this mega center, and there's not a single one that I would, if I were a girl, think about having relationships you know, it was, you know, the the dudes. Uh-huh. And as a guy, a heterosexual male, there's not a single female where if we were, like, trapped on a desert island and we were the only ones left, the human race would cease to exist. Is it, is it kind of self-selected now because so much stuff is available online? It could be. That now you're getting uh, you're getting more of a collection of of people that might not be able to afford <laughs> computers or, or learn how to use computers. And if we were to run a regression analysis, this is very superficial to say, but I'm guessing that attractive people probably trend more towards people who be who would have the means to do these things online than ugly people there's a couple places where i think of that oh and one of them is the racetrack when i go to a racetrack on a weekday afternoon i feel like man this place is 78 percent people who shouldn't be gambling this money yeah and man what the hell like depressing place as somebody pushes their baby carriage up smoking their eighth marlboro red of the day yeah i uh i I wonder about that sometimes that's a great that's a great call too but like today now with the mega center in the DMV, like for like, this is the first time the aliens would be studying film on us, and they're like, "Wow, these people are st- actually these ugly people that are here are starting to get their shit together." They've a got it bit. together. We look more like ants in an ant colony. A little bit, yeah. There's there's a method to the madness, right? And they might right. be impressed. We're like, "Wow, these simple creatures actually uh, they have an incredible amount of organization." They finally figured out how to change the address <laughs> on a small plastic card in less than three hours. They're they're not nearly as strong as ants in terms of strength per body weight. <laughs> no, uh, actually, they've worsened quite some. Substantially in the past 50 years, but we do like their organizational skills. Richard Matthews. So Richard Matthews, wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans. Yes, he does not want to be this, part of this, their ant colony. Yeah, this is who I was talking about before you came it's a in. Rogue ant. Richard Matthews. For those of you that don't know the story, he's a wide receiver for the Titans. He was their main guy and kind of a nice revelation in a lot of ways yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah, has been relegated to maybe a third third potato role this year yeah. hasn't been getting as many touches and he's disgruntled about it so he just flat out said well I'm not playing anymore and Mike Vrabel apparently is gonna say all right that's cool no harm no foul yeah off we go John Robinson yeah it's strange I don't uh I don't quite understand exactly what's going on here where a team is so quick to just capitulate to a, a disgruntled player yeah I and I'm trying to think is, you know, could there be something going on behind the scenes? Now, Richard Matthews, and I'm not trying to make this political one iota, but I think if I feel compelled to put the whole Richard Matthews profile out there. He was the player who last year during the anthem protest said that if the NFL wouldn't let people kneel during the anthem, he was going to quit football. Oh, Remember that? okay, that's right. So he has threatened to quit football before for other reasons. Yeah. And uh, so maybe there's more to it than than meets the eye. Yeah, I I I, I don't know. I, I just he's 
Well, look, we saw it here in Houston. Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown was disgruntled with his contract. He, but he was also a guy that was at the center of minor controversy because he raised a fist during right. the national anthem. That was his form of protest. He never kneeled except when the whole like two thirds of the team kneeled after Trump made his comments yeah. last year. Um, but when he came back into the after he reported in the middle of his holdout. He was not gonna back down at all, and you felt you felt like the team, almost as a combination of we don't want to bow to your contract demands, but also perhaps we're not all that comfortable with your political stances either. It could be, and I don't know that that's the case with yeah. Rashard Matthews, but I I do I, like it could be something as simple as. Yeah, you were you've been a nice player for us compared to where we drafted you, but Corey Davis is starting to look a little more like the fifth overall pick in the draft. At least he did against the Texans when right. we played him a couple weeks ago. And so you're just you're more expendable now. For for you potentially making an issue out of this, like and my guess is they probably floated his name around the league to see if anybody wanted to duke him a six round pick or something for him. Everybody said no. And you look and you go, Okay, do we how how dispensable and disposable is Richard Matthews? And they look at it and said, probably very disposable. And then the connection, and maybe this will be dated by the time I even put this on the internet interwebs, um, is, oh, gosh, the New England Patriots sure do need wide receivers, and they'll take anybody and everybody. And if Dude. they're thinking, look, all right, we're, we'll say we're going to let you go, but we're going to throw that out there and see what comes up, and somebody might throw him a conditional fifth-round pick, or even higher. He's at least had recent success he has. compared to Josh Gordon. He has. They, the Patriots are like the Statue of Liberty of the NFL right now, man. They're like, we will take your tired, your <laughs> cold, your wet, your sore, your wretched refuse. We'll, They're turning into the Bengals they, is it's what like, they are. It's Ellis Island. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> like, there's, there's wide receivers in one of those like you know velvet rope lines waiting to get, uh, you know, waiting to get citizenship. And they'll accept like, 25% of them. They're going to change the all their the names on the way in, like Phil Leotardo. I guess somewhat related is that the Panthers just signed Eric Reed, yes. who himself had probably been, I guess, one step below Colin Kaepernick yeah. as the Cap visible light. face yeah. of the kneeling protests. And I think with Colin Kaepernick, last year at least, there were still a lot of arguments that, well, hey, it wasn't just the kneeling, it's the fact that he wore those pig socks that made fun of cops. Yeah. It's the fact that he voiced support for Castro. All these other things where you you realize by this year, okay, all those arguments weren't valid. It's just flat out the protest that's keeping him yeah. from getting like even offered a backup job. Yeah. Um Eric Reed that you didn't really have those arguments. It was more just, hey, he had his political stance, he had his protests, um or, or political or civil rights stance. And it it sh it really seemed by this point of the year that that's what was keeping him from getting a job. Well, because Eric Reed was good at his job when we last saw him. Right. Colin Kaepernick, while probably still one of the 64 best quarterbacks on the face of the earth when he's shaking rust off and given a chance to go through a training camp and things like that, still was not – first of all, he wasn't nearly what he was when he first came into the league under Jim Harbaugh where he was a unicorn to a lot of, to a lot of teams. But he, he was a – he was a backup behind Blaine Gabbert for a lot of his last season in San Francisco. So he wasn't he wasn't a guy who was really going to affect winning. Eric Reed was a good safety. Yeah. Now the safety position's been a little devalued, but Eric Reed probably still should have been on a team. That's the intriguing part about me, the Eric Reed thing, is like this is a guy who was actually pretty good. He was better at his job than Kaepernick was at his job. And there were a lot of teams that needed safeties. Yeah. And I guess the question always it like in presenting I'm not even making an argument here, um, but I guess the counter argument that would be presented is, okay, 
did Colin Kaepernick only want to be a starter and be given starter money? Yeah. And is that one of the things that's keeping him out? Eric Reed, the counter argument would be, well, safeties in general are not making what most of them expected to make. You know, yeah. Tyron Matthew didn't expect to be a free agent this year. Right. And he probably expected better offers than what he got. And and perhaps that's at least one aspect of it. But that's all that's all under the way. It's interesting that it that they signed him in Carolina with the new owner where you, you always think with these guys, okay, if Eric Reed or Colin Kaepernick's gonna get signed, is it gonna be to a place like Seattle, uh, San Francisco? Well, San Francisco, not it, San Francisco, because yeah. that's where those guys came from. Yeah, somewhere on the West Coast, somewhere More in the liberal. Northeast. Yeah. yeah, not necessarily like smack dab in the middle of uh, the the Bible Belt. And no, whatnot. but I, I I do feel like this new ownership in Carolina, just from some of the articles I've read about Richardson's leaving and the new owner coming in, is it the new owner? I think really is trying to show how different the culture is going to be in Carolina compared to the previous culture of, you know, older, southern, white, sexual harasser, all those things. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, yeah, alleged. <laughs> um, you know, like he, the, when they were asked about the statue of Richardson in front of the stadium being part of the deal of the new owner buying the team, um, and what's That's the, right, because the the statue stays. Yeah. They were only going to sell it, right? That, that Jerry Rat Richardson statue. It has to stay. Not, and when they asked, you can't him, pull a Joe Paterno or a Stalin or anything else. Right, that. That right. And when, they, and when they asked the new owner about it, he was very kind of like ambivalent about it, and just like he was very like, yeah, you know, like he didn't try to like he didn't try to say the political part of like, hey, he's, he didn't try to stump for why Jerry Richardson's statue should be out there. He was basically like, it's in the contract. Yeah, he almost was apologetic about the statue. At least that's how the comments read. I didn't hear the comments. It's interesting because you have this scenario now where. It's hard to buy a sports team. If you're a billionaire, it's not so simple as, hey, you're a billionaire, go buy a sports team. No. you got to get on a list. It's you got to kind of be vetted to where now between the Clippers and the Panthers, I wonder if a lot of billionaires are out there kind of licking their chops, thinking like waiting for the next – Waiting for the next scandal because, gosh, like, look, this is an expedited way to get yourself into a into a sports team. The, the NFL wanted to move on as quickly as possible. The NBA wanted to move on as quickly as possible with these sales, and they have a. I, I don't want to call it a fire sale when you buy something for two billion dollars. Yeah, but it's it's one extra way to get in on the game. It hasn't even been that bad for the owners who were disgraced that actually own the teams either. Like honestly, like Donald Sterling's punishment for all those comments was that he got a two billion dollar suitcase full of cash from Steve Ball. Right, yeah, that's your punishment. <laughs> you know, like, it's like a, your punishment wait. is you now have to cash in the asset that's appreciated 8 jillion I, I, percent I, from when you bought it. I increased my investment 50-fold, but I wanted it 60-fold. See You're these marks on my wrist, though, from where I got slapped? This Jer is bruising right here. Jerry Richardson, in that book that I'm reading, Big Game, yeah. which is about the NFL owners, they don't the author doesn't paint a very great picture of Jerry Richardson. Kind of paint him as the one – owner who was a former player but who was almost the most dismissive of players in negotiations when it came when they were negotiating the last cba he uh he just kind of casually and casually and rudely dismissed a lot of the arguments of players and and talked down to them he, he talked i i believe it was richardson that talked down to peyton manning um like in a pretty rude way so he's he liked just like Sterling, I'm wondering if part of it is that they were expedited out of there without any much fight from other people yeah. just because they might not have made all that many friends uh, as, um, among the community. Yep. Um, the other big tech, well, the other big NFL news, 
I guess this is this doesn't fall into the category of news, but before we get into your picks, Andrew Luck, and what do you exactly expect from him for the rest of the season? Because so far, I've seen a guy whose arm isn't really the same. It looks like he's laboring to throw the ball 10 yards, much less the deep balls. And when they moved the ball down the field last week, a couple of plays were just underthrown balls. One one play in particular, a really badly underthrown ball to which they got a pass interference on it. So it they was, moved yeah. down the field in the chunk that way. But his arm just doesn't look the same. Is no. it? Is this possibly simply short-term, the guy's running it, you know, getting his arm back in shape, or – would you be more pessimistic about it and think it's a Chad Pennington type situation? Yeah, I don't know. I heard you guys talking about it with Mike Lombardi this morning, and I thought the I thought the Drew Brees comp was an interesting one. That yeah. Brees is a guy who, basically, the Chargers kind of gave up on him, and then the Dolphins passed on him because of the shoulder injuries, and he winds up going to New Orleans and becomes a Hall of Famer. I I don't know how the thing's going to progress medically just because none of us can crawl inside Andrew Luck's body to know exactly how the shoulder is. What it reminds me of, Seth, it reminds me of Peyton Manning the last year he was with the Denver Broncos where I I, I watched the Eagle game on Game Pass this weekend and and not only were the deep balls under throw, there wasn't a single ball Andrew Luck threw in that game that had any mustard on no. it at all. All of the balls that were over like 10 yards – had significant arc on them. You know, they were all kind of – it was like da- watching Danny Werfel run Steve Spurrier's offense in college where uh-huh. he's just – he's lobbing balls to a spot. And, and they, it looks like he's pushing it more than throwing yeah, it. Like yeah. it's a labor. You know, your baseball pitchers talk about – or when they're talking about baseball pitchers, how it's just an easy delivery and the ball just pops out yeah. of the hand. Whatever the opposite of that is, yeah. that's what it looks like. I don't know because it's been it's been two years now. Like if, if the sauce isn't going to come back on his fastball – after a couple of years of rehabbing this, he took a whole year off from football. Yeah. So if it's not going to come back after over a year, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's ever going to come back. It reminds me, it reminds me of Peyton Manning from this standpoint, and that I believe Andrew Luck is probably a really cerebral football player. A guy went to Stanford. His dad was a quarterback. He grew up in a football family. He's a smart dude. He's immersed in football. Like football is the first thing. So I think there are a lot of Peyton Manning qualities that that Andrew Luck has. I don't think anybody's Peyton Manning when it comes to being able to probably manage around a noodle arm. You know, Peyton could manage the whole thing with his brain. But he's on a team right now where you need more than that if you're going to win football right. games. You know, like he's on a team. The roster's better than I thought it would be. They've actually got a few players on there that in re-watching that game, you go, okay, well, there's a little something on defense and the offensive line's a little better than I thought it would be. But he just doesn't have weapons right now. And he's everything he's throwing with any sort of juice on it is all inside of first and ten. You know, right. It's all inside of that ten-yard box. And uh, look – in terms of their matchup with the Texans this week, that doesn't make me feel a whole lot better because uh, that's what Eli did to him Eli, last week. Eli looked like trash the first two weeks. I don't know if his arm yeah, is well, it. Although he he made some nice touch throws. That one to Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, where he squeezed it between the safety and the cornerback on, on the, the sideline. Side yeah, yeah. Um, that was a well timed, well placed, well thrown ball like in the classic cover two. Um, but he just feasted over the middle and yeah. the Texans linebackers. That was the biggest disappointment for me in the game was the way that linebackers played both against the run and against yeah, the pass. Yeah, it was. And now the Colts, you know, T.Y. Hilton is not necessarily a guy that scares you in that part of the field. And I don't know – I don't even know if Jack Doyle's playing in this game. Does Eric Ebron scare you? 
the Giants have legit weapons that scare right. you in that point. You know, Sterling Shepard's made his living so far in the NFL and back in, at OU in that part of the field. And Odell Beckham can catch any route. Odell Beckham scares everybody off Wherever, of playing all, any kind of aggressive coverage yards. underneath yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and their tight end, even though he went out, uh, uh, Ingram. Oh, well, you mean you seeing Odell, though, when – when you're playing cover two and all of a sudden the linebacker thinks he might be covering Odell Beckham Jr. up the seam, How about he that? bails the hell out, and then Odell Beckham just stops and catches an easy 10 That yard. was classic. We're yeah. up in the press box watching, and, and I'm sitting next to Fred Davis, and I'm going, I know the play you're talking about. Thankfully, it only went for like seven yards, right. but the Texans are just massively confused. The Giants have three wide receivers, I think, lined up on one side of the field, and like whoever I forget who it was, it might have been Colvin because he was a slot corner, and Colvin's like whoever it was, like no Zach, you got to cover Odell Beckham right here. <laughs> and thankfully Odell Beckham kind of slipped after he caught it, but uh, yeah, not not fun, not fun covering those skill guys. Should be a little step down in weight class this weekend for the Texans. Though. Before we get into your picks, yeah. the one last thing I would say is, is it is it possible? And you might have heard me talk about this this morning. Is it possible that we're actually in a golden age of Thursday night football? Ooh, I did not hear you talk this about is, this. Uh, this so far has been a slate of Thursday night football games where you start off with the Ravens and Bengals. Yep. Then you move on to the Browns and Jets, which in any other year you would think, oh, Browns and Jets, who gives a damn? Yeah. But this was a matchup of highly touted young rookies. It turned into a matchup of highly touted young rookies. And lived up to the hype. As, as Baker Mayfield has his coming out party. Yeah. And now you have Rams-Vikings, That's, which uh, you've got the Vikings coming off of a humiliating blowout loss. That's interesting. And I haven't looked at the rest of the slate of Thursday night games. You know, And we'd have to look at them and see what they looked like on paper to, to begin the season. The other thing you need to keep in mind, all 32 teams have to play a Thursday night game. So there will be some duds at some point this oh, season. But your theory is interesting from this standpoint is that of all the TV contracts that were up this past season, the Thursday night football one was the only big one that was up. The rest of them all come up in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we remember that Fox Fox won it. Fox had nev- never had Thursday night. We've seen Thursday night football on CBS. We've seen it on NBC. Fox paid more than I think what people thought Fox was going to pay to get it. None of us look at the contract. It just it makes you wonder just if I'm trying to find ways where your theory could have been applied behind the scenes, could Fox have said, hey, look, we're willing to outbid NBC or CBS, but let's sit down and go through what we think the matchup should be here on give Thursday night. Give, give, us, give us some juice, yeah, here here on Thursday night, and, and, and maybe that – Maybe that's a, that would be an interesting and question look, for someone like a Richard Deitch right. or a you know at sports rate at sports TV ratings whoever runs that that would be or or Darren Ravel that would be an interesting question for one of them whose whose career is to dig up things on TV contracts right. to go ask because even you wouldn't think okay well yeah what do the what do the Jets and the Browns have that would fulfill that conspiracy theory well they had two that's first sellable, round quarterbacks yeah no that and, and early so, early in the season that's a sellable matchup yeah. because the 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 rookie co- if that's in week thirteen and Darnold's wetting the bed and Baker's throwing fifteen picks. It's not as compelling, but early in the season, when you know theoretically the Browns are still looking for their first win, and there's some juice in the crowd. Right, there are some matchups here that, like, I'm I'm looking down the schedule that these should have been Sunday night matchups: um, Patriots, Colts, Giants, Eagles, yeah. even. Uh, and you go on down yeah. the line. I mean, there's some there's some probably going to be bums, but Eagles versus Jaguars. There are there are. Teams that went wow. deep in the playoffs. The Eagles are on there twice, huh, for Thursday nights? Mm-hmm. Actually, three times counting the season opener. That's right. Eagles, Jaguars, Eagles, Giants. and uh, Oh, yeah, that's Eagles, right. That, that wasn't technically considered Thursday night football, be, even though it was on Thursday it was on night. Thursday so, night, Eagles, yeah. Falcons. You're right. That, so wasn't a, that wasn't a Fox that game. Was a that, was, that, was an, that was an NBC game. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, okay, your picks. 
Yeah. Let's, let's go to the NFL. Okay. And tell me this. You have the over on the Ravens and the Steelers. Yeah. I'm, I'm skeptical of that one just because I – uh, I'm intrigued by the Ravens' defense. I think Terrell Suggs is Terrell Suggs is pulling a James Harrison. Yeah, where like he's still playing a really physical game well into his old age, and not that he's you know he's just one guy, but I see elements of the Ravens' defense. Yeah. that are still what you think of with the Ravens' defense, whereas the Steelers' defense looks nothing like what you think of as a, a Steelers' defense. Yeah, I don't know that we need you know any any over, especially when the total's up in the 50s, and the total on this game is 51. There probably needs to be a compelling argument for why both teams are going to score in this game. I think the, the argument for the Ravens scoring on the Steelers is pretty simple. Like you said, it's a bad defense. It just gave up 400 yards to Ryan Fitzpatrick, although everybody seems to be doing that nowadays. Um, the Ravens have been a pretty good offensive team so far this year. They've cashed in on every trip in the red zone so far this year. They have every trip to the 12 trips into the red zone. They're 12 yeah. for 12 in putting points on the board in the red zone. Joe Flacco has been decent this year. So that's an easy side of the argument. The other side you're talking about to me, it's a little like the Cowboys with Sean Lee, you know, the stats with no Sean Lee and yes, Sean Lee, it's a drastically different defense for the Cowboys. Jimmy Smith is that guy for the Baltimore Ravens, and he's serving the last game of his suspension in this game. Um, so it's a drastically different defense statistically. With the Ravens with Jimmy Smith, they're among the top teams in the league. Without Jimmy Smith, they're in the middle of the pack at best DVOA. Roethlisberger threw for over 500 yards against the Ravens last year at yeah. home, and home Ben is good Ben. And so I think I, I see this game being played somewhere in the high 20s or low 30s. I like the I, I like the over on the 51 in this what game. What was Jimmy Smith's suspension? Is that PEDs? I think it was. Is he one of the ones that's suing? There are a few players that are actually coming out and suing now because the supplements, uh, every now and then you go through these waves where supplement companies get real shady. And yeah. it seems like either the testing has gotten better to where they can detect some. But I know, the, I know a lot of athletes are getting really paranoid about like even more so than they used to be about any of the supplements. Ryan Cushing said the supplement he took that got him his 10-game suspension, he said this on Arian Foster's podcast, that it had everything that was legal in uh -huh. the league when he took it, but once his body processed it, it turned into a, a banned substance oh, inside, really? inside of his body. Yeah. Huh. I want to buy this. He said it with I a straight face, because I watched it on YouTube. He I, said it with a straight face. I could see that. I wonder whatever the scientific argument for it is, if it's true, that was probably the best advertisement for that supplement ever. <laughs> That was <laughs> sales. Oh, do you remember when McGuire, when the Andro stuff came oh, out? Yeah. Andro just blew up. Yeah. Any, any company that was. Hey, if you have a job where you're, you don't have to be tested for it. Oh, then, yeah. You know, yeah. like, then, yeah. I mean, Brian Cushing's a pretty shredded dude. Yeah, a lot of like, people. All I'm trying to do is look like Brian Cushing. I want to take whatever Brian Cushing is taking. I'm going to the gym now again where I hadn't been. I've been. I've been going either just working out in my home gym for the last decade or, like, going to smaller gyms where it's mostly, like, a baby boomer clientele. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to an actual gym now, and I'm a little bit dismayed at how in shape everybody is. Yeah, are you trying to shame yourself into getting back into a shape? Little a little bit, bit, yeah, but these dudes, like, I don't remember there being this many fit 45-year-olds. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think testosterone replacement has uh, a little dude, something to do with it's it. it's a lot of it's artificial. It ain't because people are working harder. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's 2018. It is. I've talked to people in the fitness industry who say that the it's less cyclical than it used to be because m people are just ingra it's ingrained in them. Yeah. It's more of their normal daily routine where it's not like everybody has a New Year's resolution. They work out for a month in January. People maybe in the older age group maybe having more sex now too. Oh, I know that millennials are having less sex yeah. than than we all did when we were the millennial age because they're trapped in their gaming consoles. Yeah, but I, but older people who don't play video games and who come from a a culture of liking to have a lot of sex growing up, 
now have all these mechanisms to have more sex. They have dating apps. Dating apps. But I'm talking about like medically. Oh, Viagra. Viagra, the the one that you speak for that, uh, you know, kind of. Replaces so the generic sildenafil. Did, did, thank you. Yes. You can get, yeah. Yeah. That's a forty dollars savings per <laughs> dose. I didn't realize until I started doing ads for them because I don't. I don't have to use it yet. I'm sure I will. I have no shame about it. Um, but I don't have to use it yet. But I had no idea that it, like. Uh, 50 bucks for name brand Viagra. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's <laughs> not when there's another product out there. You know, like if it's the only thing out there. Like yeah. it's, you know, like if you if you need it to go, like fifty bucks, it probably feels like a drop in the bucket. Hugh Hefner was kind of settled down and happily married until the invention of Viagra. And then within a couple of years of the invention of Viagra, it was him living with like those three triplets and just it changed. So if you want to talk about seniors having more sex, yeah. for you for for him, like he wasn't uh like not that I'm comparing anybody out there that is older to yeah. Hugh Hefner. No. But like for him it definitely changed everything. I wonder what age he had to start using that. Yeah, I wonder, yeah. You know what? One of the things that happens with kids now, I say kids or young people or men, anybody in general that, like, watches a lot of pornography on television. I was reading about this the other day on television, on uh, on the Internet, is that they become so desensitized to it that they need more and more and more mental stimulation that there are actually more ED cases than you would expect for younger people because nothing nothing in reality can give that same visual presentation as, like, 10 tabs of porn open on your computer. I believe that. Speaking of porn, uh, Tom Brady (laughs) takes on Miami. Uh, New England, this is interesting to me. Miami, nobody knows for sure if this is real yet. Yep. But undefeated at 3-0, taking on uh, a New England team that has at times just looked woefully incompetent. Yeah. New England's a seven-point favorite. It's up and to seven and a half. Seven and a places. half now, and that's a big half. That seems like a heady spread for for this matchup. Yeah, I, I guess what I and I'm not playing this matchup for this reason, because I think back to the last few years early in the season and how many times we have said sometime in September yeah. that the Patriots are buried or this isn't the real Patriots anymore. And we look up in three of the last four years, they're in the Super Bowl. Right. You know, so. Now At this, what point is it going to click? Yeah. Now, your guy Lombardi had a, a good article on The Athletic about why this year it could be different for the Patriots, which was, I mean, just monumentally depressing to read if you're a Texans fan because, like, it's like, wow, like, you lost to, like, the the old folks version of the Patriots. Like the you, defense is slow. Yeah. They've lost thirty they've lost thirty three percent of their offensive touches from last year. Yep. If you go and that's even without Edelman. Yeah. But if you go with what, Deion Lewis, um, Danny Amendola and who else? Oh, Brandon Cooks. Yeah. Those three guys are gone. Uh J- Julian Edelman's not on the field. It's a it, it, you could see how okay can I replace Deion Lewis? Well, it seems like with James White and with the rookie that you should be able to somehow replicate at least some of that. Some of it, but not his explosiveness. Yeah. Like, none of those guys are game breakers like Deion Lewis. Like, Deion Lewis is a guy, if you got him in space in the right spot, could he eat up gigantic chunk plays. Yeah. Whereas James White's in the mold of a lot of the other running backs they've had over the last decade. Yeah. Where, hey, look, yeah, he's got a bunch of he's got a bunch of receptions, but it's mostly because of Tom Brady. He's the African-American Rex Burkhead. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It's, it's what it, which is there's a role for that in the league. Here's my thing on the Dolphins, Seth, is they, they're they 3-0, and and kudos to them. 3-0 and is better than 0-3. We know that here in Houston. I question the – I question the competition level so far. They have won three one-score games, two of them at home, against the Titans in week one, 
against the Jets at New York in week two. And then and the Jets coming off of a game where they blew out the Lions and were probably feeling pretty good about themselves, and they probably caught the Jets in a good spot. Um, and then they they beat the the Raiders by a touchdown in Miami in a back and forth, you know, kind of a nip and tuck game yeah. uh, last week. So you're talking about them playing. I get it, Tennessee's two and one, but I, that's not a great team. The Jets, I think, are a team that's got a rookie quarterback, and then the Raiders might be one of the worst teams in the league. Patriots are one and two, and I get it. They've looked bad the, the the last two weeks. This feels like a game where Belichick is going to have these guys ready to play. Mm-hmm. They're back at home after two straight road games. It's a division game. Um, it's a game where they're starting to hear all these things that they tend to hear and then turn their game up a notch. Tom um, Brady's probably been a monster in practice all week. Yeah, going into badgering people, going, guilting them. Yeah, going into last week, they were five and zero. Oh, against the spread after their previous five losses that they'd had over the last couple of years. So last week was obviously an outlier. Do they lose again straight up or against the spread to a Miami team that might be a little bit of a paper tiger at home? The Patriots just don't lose division games at home. Right. So I if I if I had to take a side, I would if my if my site were giving me seven and a half as the spread, I would buy the half a point. You know, I'd lay a little extra to buy that half a point down to seven and get it on a number where if the Patriots win by a touchdown, at least I'm getting a push. Kind of like I did with the Texans mm-hmm. in week one. I bought it up to seven from six and a half, and I got a push out of that because the Texans only lost by seven. I would buy the half here, and then if I had to take a side, I would take the Patriots. And those were your only two NFL picks this week, Why correct? didn't – the Patriots weren't one of my best bets. My other oh, they one, weren't. My okay. other one was the Chargers minus 10 over the 49ers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, now, and that's uh, – I'm gonna as a as a gambling neophyte. Uh, I'm not gonna argue with you because I don't know what the 49ers are except Jimmy Garoppolo and a, Jimmy Garoppolo and a bunch of guys. Yeah. And so without Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, I I don't I'm not uh, quite sure. I don't trust the I don't trust the Bobby uh, the Bobby. I want to say Bobby Beathard. Um, CJ Beathard. CJ Beathard. Yeah. Yeah, this – I mean, it was an, it was a team that was kind of struggling a little bit offensively, even with Jimmy Garoppolo in there. I know they – you know, they put up 27 or whatever it was against the Chiefs last week, and but that's the Chiefs. The Chiefs are the worst defensive team in football. Go. To me, this this pick of Chargers minus 10, and I hope you can get it if you're listening, that you can still get it at minus 10 because it's gone up to 11 and 11 and a half in some places. It's about the Chargers. I think – I feel like we've been saying the same thing about the Chargers for most of the Phillips Philip Rivers era, but they're a really talented team that sometimes has a hard time getting out of their own way. They're one and two on the season, but two of their two of their three losses or two I'm sorry, both of their losses are to two of the three three and O teams. They lost to the Chiefs in week one, they lost to the Rams last week. I still think the Chargers are a pretty good football team. I still think there's a chance they claw their way back into this AFC West thing because I don't know. I, I realize how good the Chiefs are offensively right now, but I don't know how long you can keep going with the 32nd ranked defense in right. the league. Like how Patrick Mahomes is fun as hell to watch, but I just don't know how sustainable it is to keep winning games that are being played. You know, in, in point totals that are in the 60s and the 70s. It's, a, it's Big 12 football. <laughs> it is. And it's, okay, yeah, what's going to happen when you go up against the SEC, yeah. which is like the normal NFL, not these these other three opponents you've had. But specific to this game with the Chargers, I, I just think 
first game without Jimmy Garoppolo, I think there's going to be a hangover effect for the 49ers. And I think the Chargers, not a must win, but you're if, in a, if you're in a division with a team that's considered one of the best teams in football, then you, you really can't afford to go 1-3 and three out of the shoot if they're probably going to be going 4-0. and oh. So it's, you know, we throw the word must win or the phrase must win around a lot, but this is a game the Chargers really need. And I think they're, and they're capable of, of putting up a total in this game that'll cover a double-digit spread against the 49ers defense. It's going to be missing – I don't know how big a piece Richard Sherman is at this point, but he's out for the game with a calf injury. So their secondary is going to be a little bit depleted. So I really like the Chargers laying – even though it's double digits, laying double digits against the Niners. What do you have for your college games? I'll rapid fire these college picks. I actually have – I usually go three and three in my best picks in terms of college and pro split. Okay. But I've been doing better in college lately, so I split it this week four and two. I have four college and two pro. I'll rapid fire these very quickly. I have Notre Dame minus five and a half against Stanford. The game's at Notre Dame, two top ten teams. This is the first matchup of top ten teams in Notre Dame Stadium since the Bush Push game back in 2005. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a big game. Um, kind of a playoff elimination game, I think, maybe, for whoever loses this game. Stanford is probably feeling pretty good about themselves coming off of what was a miraculous win over Oregon last week in Eugene. They had no business winning that game. Notre Dame's changed quarterbacks to Ian Book, and he was really good against Wake Forest. So Notre Dame's laying five and a half. I like them to cover the five and a half at home as Stanford has to go back-to-back road games in tough environments in, in two weeks in a row. I like LSU minus 11.5 over Ole Miss. I'm really surprised that this line is so low. I think people are buying into the Ole Miss offense way too much. They're the fourth-rated offense in the country statistically, but they're, and they're 3-1 and one on the season. But the three games where they ran up points were against uh, Texas Tech here at NRG Stadium in Week 1, Southern Illinois, and then Kent State last week. The one game they've played against a top – notch SEC style defense was against Alabama where they scored on the first play of the game and right. then lost 62 to 7. Right. And it's uh boy it's how you talk about the haves and have nots. You're going against the absolute best versus okay they've racked up teams versus the yeah. absolute worst. How do you it seems like in college football fans are especially susceptible to just not taking into account the lopsided nature of a school mismatch. Yeah, and that, that, like and, and I mean, I would include that at like the upper rankings or even, you know, in various years when a team is dominant in a weak conference. Yeah. They just can't envision what it's like versus actual competition. Whenever there's an outlier, not an outlier, but whenever you have a team that's at one extreme end of the good scale, especially this early in the season, I always go look at their schedule to see how they beef that up because the 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 schmo way of looking at this is just to remember seeing scores of Ole Miss during this season. We're like, oh, I, I saw that Texas Tech game in week one. And, no, I saw the, I saw Ole Miss hung 70-something on somebody. Boy, they must be really good. You got to go look and see who they did yeah. it against. And, and, and this is an easy one for me because – LSU's defense athletically looks a lot like Alabama's defense. And who knows, it might be a better defense. This is not a great defensive team so far by Nick Saban's standards. The other thing to factor into this game is Ed Orgeron, his last extended stint as a head coach was at Ole Miss. They fired uh, Ed Orgeron right. back yeah, in the day. Got so the, uh, let's do little, it for the coach little bit of a element run. to He's it. He's a too. well-liked coach. And, yeah. I think, and LSU's a team that can score a little bit now. they got a little bit better. You know, Joe Burrow's nothing great, but he's a much better quarterback than guys that they've had playing there the last few years. So I like LSU minus 11. And I like it when LSU does good things because that gives us an opportunity on Monday and Tuesday to play our sped-up Ed Orgeron segment. <laughs> we uh, we take Ed Orgeron audio, and it actually sounds yes. – you would think it would be the opposite. When you speed it up to one-and-a-half speed, you can understand what he's saying. Yeah. It's, it's freakish. Yeah. 
subtitles help. Yeah. If you, if you ever close caption, if you're ever looking for a coach where you need clo- close caption, it's like Swamp People. Yeah. Where <laughs> the show Swamp People, they've got actual closed captions for guys who are speaking. It's English. the equivalent of like on Netflix when you're watching an English show. You gotta you gotta yeah. use this or Scottish. So like. Basically, Cajun is equivalent to being from Liverpool. It is. <laughs> in some ways, yes. Uh, two more picks. I like the over in the Baylor-Oklahoma game. Big 12 football, so you know. And Oklahoma played a game last week against Army that was one of those games where Army possessed the ball for like for, you know, for like 45 minutes of yeah. the game. They almost lost the game, OU did. It went to overtime. OU won the game in overtime. OU only ran 40 plays in that game last week. So wow. I think they're going to be chomping at the bit. To, well, now they, you know, they average probably 15 yards a play on right. those 40 plays. But they 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 didn't run – they run about half the plays they're used to running. So I think there's going to be sort of that – kind of like that horse that's been in the stall that's looking to get out and just run in the open field. Baylor's a perfect defense to do that against. Baylor's an improved offensive team this year. These two teams played a game – I was at the game last year between Baylor and OU. That was a game I think the final was like 49-42. Mm-hmm. The total on this game is not even 70 points. It's only 68-and-a-half. So – I, and the game's in Norman, so the, when you're counting on an over, the team you're really counting on to carry that over is the favorite at home in this. And I feel like OU, this is a game where they can go put up 50 points. Yeah. So now you're just counting on Baylor to go get a few touchdowns, which I think this year's Baylor team is capable of doing. Last year's Baylor team did it against OU and Waco. So I like that one. The last one I like is BYU plus 17.5 at Washington. It's an out-of-conference game for Washington. BYU's an independent. You're sort of into the conference season now. So when you're in conference play and you get one of these independents or non-conference games, to me, I always favor the independent or non-conference team once the team that's in conference play is is kind of in that mode. Maybe right. they're looking ahead to a more important game next week. It's a good BYU team. They beat Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago in Madison. And I always like BYU in games like this. This is probably going to be a game that's a very physical game. BYU's got a bunch of guys on their team that are like 25 years old with three kids and mortgages, you know? So they're I, plus 17 and a half. I know this sounds crazy. You'd never say this about an NFL game, but plus 17 and a half, that half is actually a little bit important because 17, you know, college game, there's a little more variance, more high scoring. 17 is a is a football number in the collegiate game that, that happens somewhat frequently. So I like the 17 and a half. I like getting points with BYU. Washington, I think, is a little overrated. They let – a Herm Edwards coached Arizona State team hang around last week in Seattle, only lost by seven. I can't believe I'm saying this. Herm Edwards actually is doing some decent things I at Arizona know, State. Isn't it? Yeah. It's either it's either that we underestimated Herm Edwards or overestimated how hard it is to coach football. I, one of the two, maybe both. I don't know. But they Washington Washington looked not pedestrian, but they didn't look extraordinary against Arizona State. They haven't looked extraordinary this year. So all you're asking BYU to do is hang around in a game that I think is going to be. I think it's going to be a fairly tight-to-the-vest kind of grind-the-clock kind of game. Arizona, one thing they did, they ran the football on Washington last week. And I think BYU, I don't think they've got any intention of slinging it all over the place. So I think BYU, like they did against Wisconsin, can line up and run the football and at least keep it within a manageable number. So I love that game, too. You can follow Sean on Twitter, at Sean T. Pendergast. Where are you guys broadcasting from today? We are at Twin Peaks on uh, I-10 and Kirkwood. Ah, okay. That's a big one. Uh, it's a good. They're all good, but that's we haven't been to that one yet. That's our first sh- uh, first shot on the west side. I used to live out that way. It's just a it's a it's a huge restaurant. And like I ten, you know, they get like two hundred thousand cars per day. Yeah, that whole I used to live up there. It was like it, during traffic. during rush hour, you'd have to 
take 45 minutes to drive yeah. five miles. Yeah, so that's so at rush hour, get off, hang out with us, and drink 29-degree yeah. so beer. Why why go through rush hour when you could be hanging out with Sean T. Pendergast that's on it. Twitter? That's it. That's All the right, old buddy. saying. Thanks, man. You got it. And joining us now on the Buyer's Barricade Hotline is Michael Lombardi. You can buy his book, uh, Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL, on Amazon and anywhere else you want to buy it. It's an awesome book. I've really been enjoying it. Michael, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, thank you. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm done with the Texans. I broke up with them. I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I, if I got to watch one more false start penalty, I might lose my mind. Michael, that is what is driving me absolutely insane. Is that I anticipated certain. I don't want to say sophomore slump tendencies out of Deshaun, but certainly things falling back to level a little bit as teams caught up to them. But I'm watching this offense and. They just can't. They can't execute anything. They can't run the ball. They can't. Their play action fakes are sloppy. Like I'm, I'm looking at an entire systemic breakdown here, and I don't know where to begin. What's the What's the most glaring thing to you? Well, you know, when you're looking at a team, right? So you're in the when you coach when you evaluating a football team, you're really in the veterinarian business. So you're either it's so you, you, the patient doesn't speak to you, right? So you, you have to kind of diagnose it through systems and checks. And clearly, you go players, coaches, and scheme. And what and the things that you can control, false starts, you can control those. You know, I mean, Julian Davenport's a turn uh, is a penalty machine out there, right? So you, you you're tolerating that. You got to change that. And and to me, their execution has just got awful. I mean, mm-hmm. where the way you examine execution for NFL teams all the time, and this is, goes back to Parcells, and he taught me this years ago, is you add completions and rushing attempts together, and that tells you where you are. For example, if you can get above 52, you're really good. The best teams in football right now are Baltimore, New Orleans, and Oakland in terms of their execution on offense. They average 55.7 rushes and completions in a game. Houston averaged 47. That's not good enough. And what happens is they're always in first and 15. Last week, they had four, the first four drives, they started out with a penalty to start the drive. I mean, and I hear what you're saying about the Sean, but they're so hard to get anything going. They can't control the line of scrimmage with their offensive line. And then when they need a stop on defense, they can't get one. Well, in the offensive line, obviously, has been an issue here for a few years now in Houston. But one of the things you mentioned in the book is that in the offseason, Bill Belichick will sit down and they'll identify where the problem areas are on the team. Then they'll spend all offseason, all training camp, however long it takes to address those problems on the team. And I guess the, the train wreck that you could have seen coming here is that the Texans went into the season with the plan of having Chantrell Henderson and Julian Davenport as their starting offensive tackles, and now they are, they've got Julian Davenport and Martinez Rankin, uh, third-round rookie, as their starting offensive tackles. It, it, what step along the way could they have done something different? You know, the offensive line is a two-year plan. You just can't go into an offensive line and say we're going to fix it this year. It takes two years. It takes, to me, the number one job a general manager has in the summer is to figure out what his backup offensive line is next year. He's got to have it down so he's got five guys that he could put in a preseason game the following year that can actually execute an offense because you can't evaluate anybody else when the line can't block somebody. And if you put five college free agents out there, things are going to fall apart. So the job of the GM is to figure out how to do that. And there's obviously been a change of general managers, and you're a year behind. I mean, the offensive line to fix it takes a full year. You just can't do it in the year you're doing it. It takes a full year. So I 
understand where they are because there's no solutions based on the street. It's hard to find offensive linemen, and because of the rules, you can't train them. So to me, that was a problem. I think you know they should have. They kept signing more guys. I mean, to me, they got to keep throwing things against the wall until something sticks. You mentioned the change in general managers. It's an interesting situation here because for a long time, people could dump on Rick Smith because he was here forever without a ton of overall meaningful success. Brian Gain is now the GM. And Bill O'Brien said at the Texans team luncheon a month ago that Brian Gain is one of his best friends in football. It's got to be a bit awkward right now if you're Brian Gain. What are those conversations like this week or even last week, just this period between Gain and O'Brien right now? Well, I mean, look, you can be friends with somebody and be best friends with them and still have hard conversations. That's the most important thing. I, I think when two people are agreeing all the time, one of them is unnecessary. So, you know, you've got to have hard conversations, and there's got to be details cleaned up. Look, the, the thing when you watch the Texans, and I think Bill would be the first to admit this, is the details aren't handled. They're losing games. They're shooting themselves in the foot because they don't handle the details well enough. And what Deshaun said before I came on the show, yeah, you could take those five or six plays but they show up every week. So it goes to an old adage, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. And I think that's the key component here. And you know, and it's just not it's just not on offense. It's in every phase of their team. And it shows up. I mean, they need a stop. I mean, they made Eli Manning look like it was the Eli Manning when he was coming out of college. I mean, you know, he completed pass. Now, look, I know they've got a lot of guys hurt in their secondary. But, I, you know, and I know Clowney's probably not anywhere near he was because he doesn't look the same player to me, nor Marcellus. You know, they're missing guys that have great names and appeal, but they're not playing to the level that their name and appeal usually is. So I understand that. And they've got to kind of work through it. But to me, there's things you can control. And when those things you can control break down, you got to fix them defensively in particular it's been it's been noteworthy and you, and you just mentioned it I mean this was a unit especially on the front seven that a lot of people would consider one of the best in the league both with the defensive line some of the guys that they have and a linebacking core that honestly to this point has just looked mediocre at best if even that they, they never really – they haven't been able to get control of a game. In the three games they've played, they've yet to get control of the game with their defense. And I, and I think part of it is I don't know how healthy all these players are. I'm not there. But the, when I watch Marcellus or I watch Clowney, they don't look like the same player to me that they were. And I'm thinking this offseason, I'm thinking if they get that defense to where the level it should be, you know, they should be very good. But paper and playing are two different things. And right now they look good on paper. They just don't play very well. Michael, last thing for me on, on this team specifically. Are the Texans done at 0-3 or with the division? Can they make a comeback? Look, they can make a comeback. They go up to play the Indianapolis Colts, who have done a marvelous job of managing games. They've been in all three games and could have won all three games. They're throwing the ball in the end zone to win the game against the Eagles last week. You know, they got a chance to win the game against the Bengals in the opener, and they turn it over. They get a strip, they get a strip and the Bengals take it back for a touchdown. And with all that being said, Luck's throwing the ball for less than six yards per attempt, never gets it down the field. So this is a game that the Texans on paper should win. They don't have a receiver other than T.Y. Hilton. If they take T.Y. Hilton out of the game and they can get any rush on Luck and force him into having to throw the ball quickly, they should control the game with their defense. And then the Colts' defense is playing much better. Darius Leonard's been a really good player. Teray, this defensive end, number 57, is the rusher from Rutgers. He's been very good for them. But they can move the ball on them. They just can't make mistakes. They shoot themselves in the foot, especially when they get in the red zone. They've had nine red zone trips, two touchdown passes, one kick, one one uh, one rushing touchdown. That ain't good enough. Uh, in discussing Andrew Luck, I actually heard somebody earlier this week invoke the name Chad Pennington, and that 
He wondered if if Andrew Luck might be a guy that hurts his shoulder and never quite gets his arm strength back. Uh, I wouldn't jump to that conclusion just yet, but have you seen if you had experiences with guys, I guess maybe Drew Brees would be an example where he's got a chronic shoulder issue and maybe for a year and a half or two years it doesn't look quite right and then steadily gains strength back? I think that's the case. I don't think he's 100% yet. I, don't, I think there's too much air on the ball. There's not enough velocity. I don't know what his length of throw is. And also added to c- compounding the problem is the Colts don't have, other than Hilton, they don't have an explosive receiver down the field. Mm-hmm. So they really can't stretch it. You know, So it's hard. But they've done a good job of managing. I mean, this is well-coached team, this Colt team. They come in, they execute. Mack, the running back, can they hit the hole, they run, they don't make too many negative plays, so they're not hurting themselves, and that allows luck to kind of grow but I'm with you I think it's going to take a little bit more time I think the Pennington is because the way he's throwing the ball without a lot of velocity I can see where people are saying that and it does make sense to me but I think you got to give it a little bit of time how much trouble are the Patriots in right now well, look, you know, people don't, you know, it's it's easy to say, but when you when you break the Patriots down from a year ago to this year, they lost 33% of their offense. They lose Deion Lewis. That's 900 yards rushing. Didn't replace him. Sonny Michelle hasn't been the same guy. They lose Danny Amendola. That's 61 catches. Julian Edelman's not there to replace him. They lose Brandon Cook. 65 catches, eight touchdowns. No one's there to replace him. You know, and maybe it's Josh Gordon. So Brady doesn't have three guys he trusts in the offense. He doesn't trust Cordell Patterson. He doesn't trust all the other guys. Philip Dorsett, maybe he does, but right now they're not throwing the ball down the field, and it's been very difficult. The Patriots are one for ten on passes over twenty yards in the air. That's horrible. You can't win like that. You got to make chunk yards. Everybody talks about the run game. If you're not making explosive plays in a passing game, you're not going to win. And that's what the Patriots have been able to do. And compounding the problem is their defense has played horribly. But they've always been not stellar on defense. What they've done is they've gotten the lead in the first half and they played from in front. This year, they're not doing that. And people have pointed to Tom Brady's inaccuracy, and and I cringe a little bit when I hear that because they said the same thing in 2014 when he was breaking in a bunch of new receivers. When Tom Brady is inaccurate, is it typically more that the receivers aren't precisely where they're supposed to be? I think that's probably true. Like one route, Sonny Michelle, he threw the ball behind him. He was expecting Michelle. Brady's going to lead the receiver to where he needs to go for the open area. He's just not going to throw the ball behind you because, oh, I just missed that throw. You know, and, and I think trust plays a big part of it. And right now, the Patriots can't run the ball effectively. They're not winning the line of scrimmage. And they're a little bit like the Texans in this sense. They can't string four or five plays together that are really good, executed, well-executed plays. They always have a breakdown somewhere, and that's what happens. The Texans do it all the time. They'll get three plays together, breakdown. They'll get five plays, breakdown. Same thing with the Patriots. Michael, I'm really struggling, even though we all we all know as football fans that Belichick likes to exit a year or two early on players. Malloy, Seymour, Mankins, the list goes on and on and on. But I'm struggling to figure out why in a year where Tom Brady is 41 years old, why they would have entertained trading Gronk to the Lions in the offseason. I just can't figure that out. You know, I, I can't either. I mean, look, I think a lot of it has to do with the contract. Maybe they felt like they just couldn't get Gronk ever under contract, and Gronk was never just going to be happy. And that happens sometimes. I mean, Gronk, I mean, I've been, I've been in the organization, and before the ink is dry on Gronk's, Gronk's initial contract, he wants to renegotiate for the next one. Thank God there's rules that say you have to wait a year before you can renegotiate any contract. So, you know, I think that plays more into it. I don't think they're trying to run Gronk out of there. Look, they don't have another tight end that can help. They need Jacob Hollister to come in, actually 
actually and give him some quickness in the middle of the field. Gronk can stretch it vertically and he can run, but Gronk's never been a quick in and out of his route guy. Gronk has been a powerful man who's hard to cover because of size and his presence. They need a quicker guy inside, and I think that certainly if Hollister comes back, that'll help him. But a lot of Gronk's problems are related to he always wants to renegotiate the contract. Once they got that worked out, I think they're both happy. Who is currently the best team in the league? I think the Rams are, but we're going to see a Rams team without two corners. I mean, the Chargers moved the ball effortlessly against the Rams when their corners were healthy. The Chargers blocked them last week, moved the ball down the field on them, but the Rams' offense is so good. They're 12 yards yards per attempt on first down, and they're really being able to attack. They spread the field for you horizontally, and then they attack you on the edges with their run game and their passing game. So I think they're really good. They're a complete team. They're very good in special teams. They're very good on defense, and they're very good on offense. They're the most complete team. Kansas City, horrible, horrible on defense. However, that being said, Kansas City's really good on third down defense, and they're better in the red zone. They only play complementary defense, and their kicking game is very good. So those, to me, are the two best teams. I wasn't even aware that teams could gain yardage on first down. I'd completely forgotten that. 12 yards <laughs> Yeah, I mean, isn't it unbelievable? Like, you know, you, you just sit there and wonder. Sam Darnold's thrown five interceptions this year, three of them on first down. How does that happen? Like, that's the best down to throw, and the Rams are the living proof of how you attack people on first down. And they have enough confidence and they can get their play-action passes tied to the runs. You know, Seth, sometimes you watch these games and the play-action passes have nothing to do with what the runs are running. And right. it makes no sense. And you wonder why the defense isn't falling for it? Oh, exactly. You know, and it's it's funny. I'll, I'll text you about it. we got to run here. Uh, but uh, the, there are a couple bootlegs over the last couple of weeks with the Texans where I'm, I'm disgusted as a defensive player that they would think that I would ever <laughs> fall for this bootleg. Like, it's so poorly executed all around um, that it, it looks nothing like an actual run play. He's Michael Lombardi. His book, Gridiron Genius, A Master's Class in Winning Championships and Building Dynasties in the NFL, is a very, very good book, whether it's for business, for coaching, whatever you might be. It's all about building a great organization with his lessons from bill walsh al davis bill belichick and on and on again uh michael really appreciate it man thanks guys bye-bye michael lombardi of the ringer and the athletic as well and check it out later on the deceptively fast podcast with the one and only with the one and only seth Payne. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 